Hello and welcome back to Life of a Polyglot, the podcast for language learners. So, this is the first episode for the month of March and it, uh, today I am going to be covering my language diary, which I've continued with the transcript idea. So I've got three more translations of this time they are all clips from the web relating to the theme of food just so that I can continue to really focus with a theme. I'm going to be covering um, my word of the month, which I won't reveal it now, but we've already had culinary and we're going to have keep on doing this theme, I think, in terms of words of the month for a little bit longer so I can really build up an idea and do some more, I guess, comparisons um, is the idea between the words to find more interesting historical trends and finally I'm going to be covering a news story um, so yeah, that's my plans for the episode so let's get into it with my March word of the month So, as I said before, my word of the month for the month of March is spice. So, um, since my month, my word, my month, my word of the month for February, which was culinary, uh, and my word of the month for January, which was legionnaire, um, I've just kind of helped this segment evolve a bit. Um, so, let's get into it. Um, the word spice was first used in 1200 um, and it means something added to food or drink to enhance the flavour. It's from the old French espice, uh, which is from late Latin species, uh, which, is a, which means a particular sort and that the late Latin species um, is first known used in the late 14th century, meaning a particular sort, a show or display, which comes from the Latin verb specere, which means to see or behold, uh, from root spec, which means uh, to observe. Um, yeah, so um, it's dipped and uh, risen in popularity over time. The spikes are 15, 23, 15, 90, 16, 18, 24. So that's six year period there. 16, 39, 16, 43, four year period. And 1694. and it has not spiked the word spice specifically, uh, case insensitive, um, until modern day. Other words related to spice, such as spiced, um, have spiked in 1588 to 94, the six year period, 1625 to 33, a whole eight years there, um, seven, in 1715, 1773, and most recently in 1943. Um, if we were to look at why the word might have spiked in those particular years, um, in 1523 for spice, uh, this was a time of empires and exploration. 
um, specifically relating to empires and trading unions. Uh, we have things like the Kalmar Union, the Hanseatic Union, um, the, Han the Kalmar Union being run by Margaret I and Christian II um, through about 1300 to 1500 and in 1523 the um, Palmar Union collapsed. This was a union um, between um, it was a union of Denmark, Sweden, most of Finland, Norway, Iceland, Greenland, the Northern Isles and the Faroe Islands um, and it collapsed in 1523. Um, due to actions from the Hanseatic League, which were a trading group run from Germany. Um, and yeah, that the, the collapse of the Kangwar Union might have meant that books were written um, talking about possibly the fatal mistakes of the Kangwar Union, especially relating to exploration, possibly of the Americas, um, uh, especially South America, which was a, a world which was beginning to be discovered by people like Sir Walter Raleigh, um, who was also related to one of the other spikes, um, and that would be the 1618 to 1624 spike, which would be the years 1618 is the beheading of Sir Walter Raleigh for conspiring against James I. Sir Walter Raleigh and another man called uh, James White. Um, they were people who attempted to colonise uh, the Americas and they, um, yes, formed the Roanoke colony. Um, in 1590, specifically again with spice and this this spike in its use, um, John White returns after Sir Walter Raleigh uh, formed the first Roanoke colony, and he returns in 1590 to look for the lost colonists of the second Roanoke colony, which was a North Carolina colony. Uh, and two times they attempted to establish this, but both times it was. It was a resounding failure. Um, so much of this is, yes, to do with people colonising other places, like I mentioned before. Then uh, the last spike that we have notes on is 1694. Um, and this is, uh, well, major events in this year were the Battle of Irvy. Uh, which was uh, between Henry of Navarre um, and King William. Um, and this is, yeah, it was William and Mary reigning at the time after James the Stuart. Um, and Mary dies in this year of smallpox. Um, and this basically leaves William to lead any trade exploration and he has this war with Henry of Navarre um, who declines any wars after this. Uh, he doesn't really expand much of his territory um, but specifically in English books relating to the reign of William the third um, 
the death of Mary and Mary II in this year uh, really expands their po- the possibilities of trade. Um, so, a few more notes on the actual origin of um, the spec, which is from Proto-Indo-European roots, um, and its pr- existence. Uh, the existence of this route is provided uh, by the evidence in Sanskrit, which is Spasati, which is seize, the German Spahn to spy, the Avestan Spazietti spies, the Latin Spasere uh, to look at, and the Greek Scopane to behold or to look at. Um, this is from the Proto Italic Specchio to, to observe, um, to see. And from the Proto-Indo-European sacchiette, which is related to the ver- to the verb to the word speciate, to form new biological species by the division of an existing one, um, or the process by which new distinct species evolve to create new orga- inorganic species in chemistry. Um, it's also related to speciation. Um, which, um, or no, sorry, not speciation, speciatim, which is, and the t- specia is from the species, um, which is, um, the, uh, particular sort from a late, which is a late Latin word used in the late 14th century, but the tim suffix is originally from the accusative singular ending Tim of nouns descending from Proto-Indo-European noun using the suffix tis. Uh, so I think I've covered the history of that word, the word spice, uh, in quite a bit more depth than I have done in the past and its roots, which is from the word species, spethere, and from the Proto-Indo-European root spec to observe. So that's been my word of the month. Spice for March. Okay, so now I've covered my March word of the month. It's time to dive into my language diary. And this is the first three translations. It's from a YouTube clip about a... Uh, tour along the Silk Road in Uzbekistan. So I'll read the English first and then my Spanish translation. Okay, look at this, you guys. It's Trevor James. We are with Bekrush in Tashkent, Uzbekistan. I've just arrived and today Bekrush is bringing to us a food adventure. Yeah, we're going to have so much fun. We'll learn about a really cool item today. We're going to have so much, the biggest, spiciest and craziest food to show to you. Everything for you. Let's do it. This is it, Uzbekistan, which makes some of the most unique food in the world. And today, with my Uzbekian friend Bekruj, we are going to eat some of the most delicious meals. We are starting with a local market and we are having some horse meat noodles and local lasagna before moving on for five more meals, like Uyghur style lagman noodles, trying the best fried chicken in the country, visiting a local family restaurant to try manti and kebabs and getting a lesson on how to make green lagman. And now, my Spanish translation. Vale, 
Vais este vosotros el Travel Gem. Somos con Beth Cruz en Tashkent, Uzbekistan. Segue hoy y hoy Cruz está trayendo a nuestros ojos una aventura de comida. Somos vamos a ser muy feliz porque va a ser muy divertida. Aprender, aprenderemos sobre una cosa cual es muy interesante hoy. Vamos a tener muchas cosas. La comida cual es más grande, picante, interesante y loco que algún que buscares en tu mercado o supermercado. Todos por tu humano. Vamos a hacerlo a su hora. No, esto es Uzbekistán, cual hace una de las comidas más interesantes en el mundo. Y uh, hoy con mi amigo de Uzbekistán, Bekruz, vamos a comer uno de los platos preciosos. Estamos empezando con un mercado local y vamos a comer, comiendo unas piezas de pasta de caballo. Y la saña local, antes estamos viendo con más platos. Como trozos de pasta de wigar, estamos probando la mejor comida frita del país. Estamos visitando un restaurante local, bar, manti y kebabs. Y finalmente estamos tomando un clase en cómo hacer la man verde. So, that was my first translation from Trevor James. Okay, so now I've done my first translation, let's move on to the second. As always, I'll read the English first and the Spanish translation afterwards. There it is, look at that, gosht. And gosht, I should point out, is a food. Tandor um, gosht. Wow, wow, that is on the next level. There it is, the tandor gosht. Alright, check it out, you guys, it's Trevor James. We are deep in the centre of Asia on the Silk Road. Bukhara in Uzbekistan and today we're bringing you for a full-on Central Asian street food adventure. Let's check it out. Awesome guys and before we go on this big whole tandoori lamb I would like to give a big thank you to this episode's sponsor our good friends over at Gold Thread. Gold Thread is an awesome YouTube channel all about exploring China and they just met up with our good friend Dan Xiaoga in Yunnan province. They spent a week there and filmed an amazing video with her. Take a look at this bit right here. In this original series, Dan Shishauga invites us for an exclusive look into our home to experience life on the quiet countryside. And here is the Spanish. Allí es, mira, gosht, goshtandur. Wow, wow, lo este en el piso arriba. Allí es el goshtandur. Vale, miraís vosotros es trevagin. Somos en el centro de Asia. En la calle Seda, Bukhara, en Uzbekistán. Y hoy vamos a traer a tu una aventura de la comida de este lugar. Vale, vosotros. Y antes empezamos en el Goshtandur Grande. Me gustaría dar las gracias a este video, um, a el patrocinadora a este, de este video. Nuestros buenos amigos. Goldthread. Goldthread es un canal de YouTube cual es muy bueno cual habla sobre la vida en China y cómo explorar la historia y la comida. 
reunirse con nuestro amigo bueno Danchi Xiaoge en la provincia de Hunan y sacaron un video muy bueno con ella. Dais una mirada a este trozo de este video. En este serie original, original Yanti Zhaoge dijo que llegaremos a su casa y nos daré una mirada dentro de su casa y así que podemos vivir la vida de China en el campo tranquilo. So that is my first translation and now my, my first, my second translation. And now on to my third for this episode. Finally, we build up to this moment, the $100 spring roll. And the location is right behind us. Even in the most luxurious places, how much would you pay for it? Maybe I would pay $200. Oh, Vietnam is famous for its diverse, cheap street food. This is $35,000, less than $2 for this. I mean, can you could you forget that? street food that has found its way into restaurants in every corner of the world. That is outstanding. Among the country's most well-known offerings, the Vietnamese banh mi, sam banh mi sandwich. When I take a couple of banh mi's and a coffee, I'm ready to take on the day until 10 in the morning. Those steaming noodle bowls of, of fong. You know what? That is really good. But today, we are taking on Vietnam's famous spring roll. This is a very good option for street food because it is a combination of vegetables and meat. Finding out what happens when the local chefs elevate this classic dish to its highest potential. I can make a hundred thousand dollar spring roll if I wanted to, just put some diamonds on it. Me and my trustworthy Vietnamese friend, Long, will try three different spring roll experiences at three different restaurants. And now, the Spanish. Finalmente, hemos esperado por este momento. El rollo de primavera cual cuesta 100 dólares y el lugar, lugar de rollo de primavera cual cuesta 100 dólares está detrás de nosotros. En los lugares más caros, lo pajaría, paj, pajarías. Quitas pajarías 200 dólares. Wow. Vietnam está famoso por su comida del calle, cual es diversa y barata. Este es 35,000 dólares, menos que el 2 dólares por eso. ¿Lo, oh, ¿Lo olvidares? La comida del calle había buscado sobre los restaurantes en todas las esquinas del mundo. Lo es fenomenal. La comida del calle cual son más famosas son los empapeleros bien vietnamitos. Cuando tomo unos de los empapeleros vietnamitos y una taza de café, estoy listo por el día, hasta a las 10 a la en, la, en la mañana. Estos tazones de fiero, videos, conoces, esto es muy bueno, pero hoy estamos da quedando en una aventura por el rollo de primavera vietnamita. Esto es una buena opción con la comida del calle porque hay muchas verduras y un poco de carne también. Estamos buscando lo que pasa cuando los cocineros locales dan este plato al siguiente nivel. Puedo hacer 
un rollo de primavera cual cuesta un mil dólares si he querido, querido. Tendría poner unas trozos de oro en el plato. Mi amigo Travieso y yo probaremos tres rollos de primavera diferentes en tres restaurantes diferentes. So, those were my second and third translations for this episode. I hope you've enjoyed them. I hope, well, my fluency is obviously not great in terms of speaking and that's why I wanted to do this language diary feature. So hopefully it will improve with time. I'm definitely better in terms of translation and writing, uh, listening and then writing, translating, etc. Um, but yes, I hope you've enjoyed that. Hopefully I didn't make too many mistakes. Um, and I guess uh, on to my news story for this episode. So, now I've covered all three translations for this episode for my language diary and the word of the month for the month of March for this episode. Let's move on to the news story for this episode. And the news story is that scientists, well, and psychology researchers, as I'll go on to talk about later, have found that emotions have different meanings across nearly 2,500 spoken languages, namely 2,474 spoken languages, but that there are universal sources of structure. So, psychology researchers from the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill scientists from the Max Planck Institute studied languages around the world and found that the way humans conceptualize emotions like anger, fear, joy and sadness may differ across speakers of different languages. So the study is the largest of its kind and well they built and analyzed large networks of co-lexification where different meanings can be expressed by the same word. Word. World. Uh, using a global sample of languages. They established that co-lexification means that speakers of a language see two concepts, namely la- languages, emotion in this case, uh, are similar. The researchers asked whether languages co-lexified emotions, and if so, which were similar and which were distinct. They found that languages differently co-lexified across the globe. For example, Some languages view grief as similar to fear and anxiety, and others associate it with regret. The way cultures express emotions is linked to geography. Cultures close together share similar ideas about emotions, and cultures far away are less likely to share similar ideas, although there were a few outliers. All cultures distinguish emotions as whether they are pleasant or unpleasant to experience, and whether they involve low or high levels of arousal. Few languages, as a result, view the low arousal emotion, sadness, as similar to the high arousal emotion, anger, and few languages view the pleasant, pleasant, pleasant emotion, happy, as similar to the unpleasant emotion of regret. This suggests that there are universal ways in which we experience emotions that may stem from biological evolution. I think, well, that's the news story anyway. Um, I think just from this, essentially, we we all are of the same um, origin, and so that doesn't really come as much of a surprise that the way in which we experience emotions may 
Stanford Biological Evolution, but I think we need more detail in possible links between the outliers and what they can tell us in more depth, as opposed to just we categorise emotions based on unpleasant and pleasant and high arousal, low arousal, and that, um, like I said before, that cultures closer or languages which were spoken more closely together uh, are more likely to experience and share similar ideas uh, relating to emotions and that cultures or languages which are more geographically separated are less likely to share similar ideas, um, which I think we've opened up um, well, potential links between research institutes there just to really further our knowledge of um, semantics and languages as a whole. So that was the new story for this episode, that scientists have found that emotions have different meanings across 20, 24, 2,474 spoken languages, but there are universal sources of structure. Okay, so that is it for the first episode for March. I hope you've enjoyed it. And yes, if there is anything that you do or do not particularly like, feel free to send me a voice message. You can do that on Anchor on the... Well, you'll be on the public page anyway listening right now. So there's a little button that says add message and you can message me there to give you uh, your feedback on how it's shaping up also send me voice messages for any of the language diary questions or if you've got any of your own suggestions for further questions or other language diary challenges and i can make it fit the theme of food also the first time i've said this but i would really appreciate it if you have enjoyed it so far this little journey we've been going on together then uh, please please leave a review um, this is not something that I've envisioned that would become hugely popular because I feel like that would put too much pressure on me as a creator just someone who's doing this in their spare time really um, to uh, share my journey towards fluency um, but to find the right community and the right audience would be is, is the dream really um, so yes if you if you have enjoyed it or if you haven't enjoyed it but really if you have enjoyed it please leave a review so like-minded people can discover this podcast and maybe find a little bit of wisdom or um, other commu- sense of community uh, from it Also, if you're new to the podcast, please, uh, if you've enjoyed this episode, go back and check out the other episodes. Um, At this point, I'm going to stop recommending the January episodes just because they don't reflect necessarily what the podcast is right now. Um, And yeah, so go and check out the February episode, season one, episodes one to three. And they will give you a better idea of what the podcast is and what to expect in the future. So, uh, yeah, that's all I have to say. I hope you've enjoyed it. I certainly have. 
And until next time, this has been Life of a Polyglot, the podcast for language learners. <laughs>